Hi everyone, welcome to Diversity in D313. I'm your host, Anna, and that's my co-host. Isala. And today we're going to go into part two of where we left off on the Sabel Likens case. Morning, this case has many graphic details, it's not recommended for the faint of heart. In the first part, we were discussing how Sylvia's mother and father were carnival workers. Her mother had gotten arrested, and her father had to go out of town. But she wouldn't take the he wouldn't take the girls because he wanted the, them to keep up their education and was worried about their safety. So she, he left them with a parent of friends of theirs, and his payments started coming in late. And that's when the parent, which is her name was Gertrude, started abusing Sylvia. So now we're gonna start back on part two. Okay, a father of a boy in the neighborhood eventually called the school and reported that a girl who lived in Gertrude's house had a bunch of open sores on her body, but at the time Sylvia had not been in school, so a school nurse made a visit to the home and Gertrude would not let her in the home. She had told her that Sylvia had ran away and did not know where she was and the open sores were due to Sylvia refusing to keep up with her personal hygiene. After that, the school did no more investigating. Diana eventually found out where her sisters were staying, and when she showed up to check on them, Gertrude sent her away, saying she did not receive permission from her parents and ordered her to leave the property two weeks after she had seen Jenny and asked how Sylvia was, and Jenny told her she couldn't tell her or she would get in trouble. Due to Sylvia being brutally beaten and tortured, she gradually got to the point where she would involuntarily urinate on herself. So to punish Sylvia, Gertrude would allow her to use the bathroom. She was forced to wet herself. Gertrude eventually put Sylvia in the basement to punish her. For this, she stripped her naked and tied her up where she was rarely fed or given water. Gertrude would change, charge the neighborhood kids five cents to torture Sylvia, where they would beat, scald, and even mutilate her. They would also help Gertrude put Sylvia in a bathtub full of scalding hot water, then take salt and rub it onto her wounds. Gertrude's 12-year-old son took feces and urine from his one-year-old brother, put it into Sylvia's mouth before giving her a half cup of water, and told her that it was all she was going to get for the rest of the day. On October 22nd, Gertrude's son went downstairs with a bowl of soup and offered it to Sylvia. He let her eat the soup with her fingers and then pulled the bowl away when she tried to eat it to torment her. By this time, she was suffering from malnourishment. Gertrude eventually allowed Sylvia to come up to sleep upstairs as long as she did not wet herself. That night, Sylvia whispered to Jenny to get her a glass of water in secret before going to bed. The next morning, Sylvia had wet herself and Gertrude found out about it and as punishment, she made Sylvia force an empty Coca-Cola glass bottle into her vagina in front of the children in the house and then she was sent back into the basement. Shortly after Gertrude Gertrude, Gertrude called her out of the basement into the kitchen where she ordered her to strip naked. She told Sylvia, you have branded my daughters, now I'm going to brand you. She began carving the words, I'm a prostitute and proud of it, into her abdomen with a heated needle. Gertrude was unable to finish the branding and ordered neighborhood kids to finish the finish. The kids also burned the letter S under Sylvia's left boob. And after Gertrude would tell Sylvia she would not be able to marry, that night, Sylvia told her sister, I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die, I can tell. The next day, Gertrude made Sylvia write a letter telling her what to write in the letter so Sylvia's parents would think she ran away and say she was around a group of boys that had tortured and abused her. 
After she had, after she agreed to have sexual intercourse with them, after she wrote the letter, she was tied up to the stair railing in the basement and was offered crackers, but Sylvia refused the crackers, so Gertrude and her son beat her. On October 25th, Sylvia overheard Gertrude and her son talking about how they were planning to take her and abandon her in the woods to leave her to die. She tried to escape by running out of the front door, but from her being sick, Gertrude caught her before she could get off the property. They gave her some crackers to eat, but she could not eat due to the extreme state of dehydration. So Gertrude and her son forced crackers into her mouth and then started beating her with a curtain rod. She was beat till she was unconscious, then dragged into the basement. The next morning, Gertrude took Sylvia from the basement and tried to feed her a donut and a cup of milk. But Sylvia was unable to either speak intelligibly or correctly coordinate at the movement of her limbs. So this frustrated Gertrude when Sylvia couldn't move the glass to her lips. She threw Sylvia to the floor and then locked her back into the basement. That afternoon, Gertrude's son took a garden hose and sprayed Sylvia down. She then attempted to flee again, but she collapsed before she could even reach steps. So Gertrude stomped on Sylvia's head and sat there and looked at her for several moments. Stephanie was ordered by her mom to go clean Sylvia up. When, so when Stephanie seen Sylvia lying there, just skin and bones and lifeless with all the wounds on her body, Stephanie just held Sylvia and cried. She then decided to give Sylvia a warm, soapy bath and drew her in dressed her in new clothes, and laid her on a mattress in one of the rooms. Sylvia then turned to Stephanie and said she wished her daddy was there and asked Stephanie if she could take, care, take her home. Stephanie then realized that Sylvia was not breathing. Gertrude insisted Sylvia was faking and started beating her with a book shouting faker. But at the age of 16, Sylvia finally had died due to her injuries. In a panic, Gertrude ordered one of the neighborhood kids to call the police from a payphone. When the cops arrived, Gertrude led the police to Sylvia's body after handing them the letter she had written, saying she had ran away from home, returned home bare-breasted and clutching the letter. That's when she tried to nurse her back to health before she died. As previously instructed by Gertrude, Jenny told the rehearsed version of the events leading to Sylvia's death to the police before whispering to the officers, you get me out of here and I'll, let, I'll tell you everything. The statement that was provided by Jenny led to the arrest of Gertrude and her daughters and her son. Gertrude denied having any involvement in Sylvia's murder and blamed it on her daughter Paula and Coy Hubbard. On October 27th, five other neighborhood kids were also arrested. And on October 29th, all were charged with causing injury to a person to, and each was subsequently released in the custody of their parents under subpoena to appear as witness at the upcoming trial. Sylvia's autopsy revealed she had suffered an excess of 150 separate wounds across her entire body, in addition to being extremely emaciated at the time of her death. The wounds themselves varied in location, nature, severity, and the stage of healing. Her injuries included burns, severe bruising, and extensive muscle and nerve damage. Her vaginal cavity was also swollen shut. Moreover, all of her fingernails were broken backwards in most of the external layers of skin upon the child's face, breast, neck, and right knee had pilled or receded. In her violent pain and struggle during her death, Sylvia had evidently bitten through her lips, partially severing sections of them from her face. The official cause of her de death listed by the coroner as a collection of blood on the brain due to her receiving a severe, severe blow to her right temple.
Both the shock she had primarily suffered due to the severe and prolonged damage inflicted to her skin and sub subconscious tissues, plus the severe malnutrition were, were as contributory factors to her death. Rigor mortis had fully developed at the time of the discovery of her body, indicated Sylvia may have been deceased for up to eight hours before she was found. Although it was noted she had been recently bathed, possibly after death, and that this act could have hastened the loss of body temperature and thus spread the onset of rigor mortis. On May 19, 1996, a jury found Gertrude was found guilty on first-degree murder and sentenced to life imprisonment. On the Stephanie was released, there was not enough evidence against her to prove her any involvement in Sylvia's murder, and she agreed to testify against her mother. And families, and all other individuals being charged in the murder of Sylvia. Paul was found guilty of second degree murder. Her son and two other. Uh, Paul was found guilty of second degree murder. Her son and two others were found guilty of manslaughter and received sentences of two to 21 years. In September of 1970, the Supreme Court had reversed the convictions of Gertrude and Paula due to denied submitted motions by the defense attorney for a change of venue and separate trials, and they were retried. In 1971, Paul pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter rather than face a retrial. She was sentenced to a term of between 2 and 20 years imprisonment for a part of Sylvia's abuse and death, despite twice unsuccessfully having attempted to escape from prison in 1971. She was released in December of 1972. Gertrude, however, was again convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Gertrude's ultimate parole in 1985 she had changed her name to Nadine Van Fossen and died due to lung cancer on June 16th, 1990. At the age of 61, Jenny Likens later married. The couple had two children, although she remained traumatized by the abuse she had been forced to watch her sister endure. For the remainder of her life, Jenny was dependent upon anxiety medication. She died of a heart, heart attack on June 23rd, 2004, at the age of 54. And that was the case of Sylvia Likens. Sad case. That was sad. Everybody got the hell they deserve. They should have got more. And that poor girl was tortured. Tortured. Had people just hang their ass somewhere and just blow their heads off. Just saying. Leave you speechless after doing that. Weirdos. I have. It's two in the morning, so so rest in peace to that young lady. Never and F the rest. So this I'm gonna talk about the kidnapping of Katie Beers. Katie lived in Long Island, New York, with her mother, Marilyn, and her and her half brother John. Katie's dad wasn't in the picture and she and her brother will often be left off and on with their grandmother. Linda Linda and her husband Salvador, her 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 mother was very neglect neglectful to the to the children. CPS was called to the house on numerous occasions. Katie was only making it to school maybe one to two days a week. 
And inside her grandmother's home, Katie and John were not better off. They were being sexually abused, physically abused, and verbally abused by Linda's husband, Salvador. John Esposito. Esposito. Espositos. Espositos. Yeah, those Tito's. And the Cheetos. Yeah. Was a family friend who would bring gifts for Katie and her brothers and give the kids attention. So two days before Katie's 10th birthday, she went over to John and played video games at his house. The day John showed up at Spaceplex Amusement Arcade and told the staff that he had Katie with him, but he had lost, but he had lost her inside the building. The staff helped helped him look for Katie, but they could not find her. So police were called. He then went to the playpen outside where he played a message of Katie saying that a man had taken her and was holding her against her was holding her against her will with a knife. But after police had questioned staff at the arcade, they said they never recalled John coming into the arcade with Katie. That day, so John became their number one suspect. With good reason, he had been arrested in 1977 because he attempted to abduct a 12-year-old boy. On the day Katie disappeared, John had told Katie to come over because he had a birthday present for her. Wanted to give it to her after she had played video games with him. John, he lured her into a underground bunker. It was six or seven. It was six foot by seven, and it was located beneath his garden. You could, you could access this bunker through a six foot long tunnel. They was hidden beneath a removable bookcase in his office. The door was made out of 200 pounds of concrete. What the hell is going on? <laughs> the bunker had a toilet in it and a coffin C-sound proof room that contained a bed and a TV. And that, and that is where he decided to chain Katie up. But first, he made Katie record a message saying, that she had been taken by a man with a knife. He would allow Katie to go into a larger size room in the bunker where he visited her in the bunker to bring her food, toys, and would often sexually abuse Katie. Then after he was done, she would have to go back into the, the coffin-sized room. Katie eventually stole John's key, so... She was able to escape and go into a larger room. After the unchained, 
after she unchained herself, she would keep it under the pillow. The keys only worked because it was not any help to her for escaping the bunker, but at least this gave her a chance to move around. John told Katie he would he was going to take a picture of her as as she slept and send it to the police so they would think she was dead she was dead he said he wanted to keep I hate this he wanted to keep Katie in the bunker her whole life on January 13 on January on January 13, 1993, John went to the police and confessed to them that he had kidnapped Katie and had her in his bunker where he led police and they res and they rescued Katie. Shortly after Katie was rescued, she was sent to live with a foster parent due to the ne the negligent of her and her brother. And the abuse they suffered before the kidnapping. John pleaded guilty to kidnapping on June 16, 1994. And on July 17, 1994, he was sentenced to 15 years to life at, at Sing Sing Prison. On September 4, 2013, after his fourth parole hearing in 20 years, he was found dead in his cell of natural causes. Salvador was convicted of two counts of sexual abuse and served 12 years for molesting beers. During the investigation into the kidnapping, authorities discovered that Salvador had sexually abused the girl before she was abducted. He was prosecuted initially for those crimes. He died in prison in 2009. In January of 2013, Beers spoke publicly for the first time about about the order the ordeal and revolved that she was now married with two children and working working in insurance. During the same month, she published a she published a memorial about her ordeal. I'm glad that you got out of that. Glad she got out of that too. That's weird. And all the sickles died in prison where they belong. Goddamn sickle, it's bad. Them kids had a bad life and then she had to endure all that. But she survived. I wonder what ever happened to her brother. I don't know. Didn't really say too much for her brother. Right. So I'm glad she survived from that. Grown yeah. man around her taking forcefully. Only little babies. They don't know no damn better. And to be held in a bunker and tied to a bed. Why do y'all like them young, though? That's my whole thing. That's you sound you sound gun you sound gun sick. Yeah, this is sick. You don't like a, you don't like wrong women because y'all not compatible. But mental. Yeah, they're not compatible because for the simple fact, a grown woman want grown things. So if you're compatible to a child, you have a mental something up in that membrane that's in there that you just stuck as a kid. And it's sick. Like, you have to understand, like, bro, you get no brownie points for that. That's weird. 
Shit no kid make you feel aroused or like, dang, that kid is so, that kid, okay, you can give a kid a compliment, like, oh, that's a pretty, that's a pretty young lady, or that's a handsome young man, but like, oh, you used to be stalking him, like, like, come on, man, <laughs> y'all on, man, like, come on, because you know what, you gonna be up in there, that's why both of y'all that died up in there, bitch boy, because somebody found y'all, like, Somebody found out I'm really, really fucking sexy up in there. Real pretty and attractive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, you got that. The, the, the lady had the, the lady had a little thing right there. You got that little motherfucker. You got the little booty hole. Like that. <laughs> I'm find you. I'm gonna find you something to do. I hope they got butt raped a lot. Oh, best believe. That's why niggas die. Some of niggas die from natural cause. They got. They got. F to death. I hope Day Day was up in there. <laughs> no. Well, that was Big Bertha. Big Bertha and Big Clarence up in there. <laughs> like, you want your cornbread? <laughs> and they're taking that cornbread. They do. Let me play with them kids, man. They ask us to stop being crazy, man. Stop playing with these kids, man. That's, that is sick. It's sick. Like, hey, look here. They got prostitutes out there. <laughs> you got uptight. Go get your prostitute. <laughs> I'm playing with nobody's kids. That's somebody's daughter, man. I mean, a lot of a lot of men ain't tough enough to stand up because they cowards like y'all because they probably be in on that type of shit too. But hey, it's actually guys out here that give a damn. Play with one of mine. Yeah. Fuck you, my damn self. I <laughs> like that. <laughs> Play with mine. I know homo. No homo at all. I ain't never been one of them, but I. Diversity in the D. I love y'all, but I'm from the D for real. One raid. <laughs> Jefferson now, six mile. Shout out to y'all. Well, I think that's all we have to talk to talk about for today. Is there anything else you would like to say before we close? I wanted to say shout out to y'all once again. Y'all the best in the world. Love you guys. You guys got to start throwing it out there. I'm trying to get to the point where we can get track. you guys get you guys on here, so we can so we can so we can shoot it together. You know, maybe we don't have to cover cases all the time. We get you guys on here and just shoot it out. Just talk. Just talk something. You know, pick a topic and stick with it. See what you guys think. And I'll be I'll be with y'all in a couple like another month or two. I'll be with y'all the um child diversity in the D sports. We're gonna talk about the Lions, the Red Wings, the Pistons, Tigers. Just gotta do my due diligence. <laughs> gotta get everything going and no bowling or golf though. Okay. <laughs> well, it's diversity. I don't I don't do I don't do golf for none of that. But shout out to those golf players. There's a lot of those. A lot of them greats out there. Shout out to y'all. Yeah, we just don't find it interesting to watch. Yeah, I'm not going to watch it, so I'm not going to even Google it. So. <laughs> but, so stay tuned for that. That's going to be coming up soon. And I just want to say thank you to our listeners. We really appreciate you. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to subscribe, like, following, follow, and comment. We are also available on following platforms, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and more. Our Facebook page is Diversity in D. Our email is diversityindd at gmail.com, but it's spelled D I B E R C D I B E 
R-C-I-T-Y-I-N-T-H-E-D at gmail.com. Thanks again to our listeners. Without you, there's no us. And we are now on Instagram at Diversity and D. You guys take care. And God love you guys. God is good all the time. And stay safe. More in depth.